Welcome to another episode of the Sports Sentiment. I am your host, Nick Urias, and we got ourselves a heavy dose of football content this episode, folks. Week 11 of the college football season to break down. We're going to talk about the top 10 teams in the college football playoff rankings, where they stand after a full slate of Saturday action. And we are recording this on a Saturday night, so you are going to get our instant reactions and the results after a wild and unexpected Week 11 collegiately. We're also going to get into the NFL Week 10, give our thoughts and breakdown on all the Week 10 matchups as we're kind of in the spot in the NFL where we know who's good, we know who's bad, but we're still trying to identify the middle-tier teams Teams that are hovering around 500, one game over 500, one game under, to see if they could potentially make a run. There's a lot of teams, more so in the NFC right now, where they started out a little bit sluggish and slow, but they're starting to get back on track. We'll talk about what teams we think those are and some teams that potentially could turn the corner and suddenly start to get hot as the push for the playoffs is on. So let's get into the college football talks as we're going to just quickly go through the top 10 teams in the country here according to the college football playoff rankings. And at number one, we got Georgia. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, Michigan. Number four, TCU. Number five, Tennessee. Number six, LSU. Number seven, USC. Number eight, Alabama, number nine, Clemson, and number 10, Utah. I'll tell you what, just by looking at those rankings and just by the results that we have that transpired today, as in Saturday, the number, the top four teams did take care of their business, which is very important, as in Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU. Georgia pretty much ruled against Kentucky. Ohio State didn't play their best brand of football today. C.J. Stroud and company, they always have a high-powered offense, the Buckeyes do. But they kind of just been treading water the past couple weeks. Michigan at number three really got a scare against Illinois. They were pretty much nose-to-nose for the entirety of the game. But Jake Moody, the Michigan Wolverines kicker, went 4-for-4 and hit a game-winning field goal as time expired. And TCU, this is the story of college football this year. The TCU Horn Frogs are 11 and 0 after this weekend. And I don't know what it is with this team, but because they really are one heck of a story. First year head coach Sonny Dykes, Max Duggan at quarterback. They got all kinds of weapons. Or I want to say all kinds of weapons. They really got like three dynamic playmakers in Quentin Johnston, Tay Barber, and Keandre Miller. And the defense isn't great. They're going to give up their fair share of points. But, man, they seem to always get that stop in the fourth quarter. And it doesn't matter how many points TCU is trailing. They have comeback win after comeback win. They're like they're so good in one-score games. Somehow, some way, they always end up on the right side. And they've been the story of college football this year. 11-0. Just for the rest of the season... Watch a TCU Horn Frogs game. You won't be disappointed because it will come down to the wire. So TCU's been an awesome story. 
this season. The Tennessee Volunteers in the SEC had a tough loss, a really bad loss today in Columbia, South Carolina against the Gamecocks. And man, that was just shootout central as South Carolina won that game 63-38 to as they were three touchdown underdogs in that game. And South Carolina played their best game of the year. Obviously, when you put up 63 points, your offense is obviously rolling. But more, more importantly, quarterback Spencer Rattler, the transfer from Oklahoma, the first year at South Carolina this year, played his best football in quite some time, maybe since his freshman year at Oklahoma when he took the Sooners to the Big 12 championship. He was absolutely lights out. Six passing touchdowns, 438 yards. The throws that he was making, he was just so comfortable tonight in that atmosphere he the crowd finally seemed to rally behind him he was wasn't playing the best brand of football for being a five-star quarterback coming out of high school this year in South Carolina this was really his Heisman moment if you will his best football game of the year and not a better time to knock off the college football playoff chances for the Tennessee Volunteers which their defense hasn't been great but they're Offense is just absolutely incredible. The way they run tempo and they're the fastest pace offense in the country. And Tennessee's quarterback and Hendon Hooker, he's just been so great this year. And the playmakers that they have with Jalen Hyatt, among others. It's a tough offense to stop, but Tennessee defensively just wasn't good enough, obviously, as they gave up 63 points. And Spencer Rattler was just simply that good this week so good for the South Carolina Gamecocks unfortunately for Tennessee you still there's there's still going to be in a New York six a New Year's six bowl I just wouldn't expect them to see him in the top four for the rest of the season and then we kind of start getting in let's go with number six LSU they are fairly still in it they're going to bump up to number five in this week's rankings as Tennessee takes the loss LSU is a very interesting team to me because they had a bad loss in week one against Florida State, which is an out-of-conference game, so it doesn't really mean too much, but it's still a loss nonetheless. They beat Alabama, so they have that head-to-head win over them. It's going to be very interesting to see next week, a week from now when we're recording this, because Ohio State at number two and Michigan at number three go head-to-head. We all... We all know the rivalry that they have. They hate each other. They get in the fights. Everybody knows the rivalry between the Buckeyes and the Wolverines. It goes back decades and decades. They face off against each other next week. So you got to think if one of those teams lose, even though they're both 11-0, they might drop down a spot. And if LSU wins out, they potentially could sneak into the top four. So LSU is very fascinating to me because if they win out and chaos transpires at the top even if TCU potentially drops a game down the stretch here they could potentially sneak in not only to the four spot but maybe higher into the two or three so look out for the LSU Tigers as Jalen Daniels and that offense under Brian Kelly is really starting to click at the right time USC obviously they got a high-powered offense with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley taking charge there in Southern California but this they simply have no defense they're going to be in shootouts across the board, but they're in the Pac-12 championship. They've locked that spot in. So if chaos happens on the top, 
USC could sneak in. Alabama has two losses. I don't expect them to do to do too much and sneak into the top four, even though the committee absolutely loves them. The Clemson Tigers simply just haven't been right all year, despite them being 10-1. and one. They had a win this week against Miami, even though Miami's garbage this year under Mario Cristobal. But the Clemson Tigers, this is a team under Dabo Sweeney this year, just to get into Clemson real quick. The quarterback play has not been great at all. This has been a defense first team, and they've just been treading water. Will Shipley's been a big part of that football team this year offensively. Obviously, you got Brian Breesey on the defensive line. He's going to be a top five pick in the in the draft this year. But DJ Uyaglele, he was a five-star quarterback. He was waiting behind Trevor Lawrence. And he really just hasn't clicked at all under Dabo Sweeney's offense this year. In fact, since he's gotten the start since last season, Clemson wasn't good last year. And despite them being 10-1, and one, they just, they don't seem right. They're not blowing out teams like they did with Trevor Lawrence, 42-0 to zero at halftime. This Clemson team is not right, and I wouldn't be surprised if Dabo Sweeney makes an executive decision next year and goes with a completely new quarterback to run this offense. And at number 10, we got the Utah Utes. They have three losses now as they officially lost to Oregon. They're going to drop down significantly. Oregon's probably going to drop up as they're in the 12 spot. So there's a lot of moving parts, but we really want to focus on the top four. And I'm going to say maybe five and six, as those are the teams that really have a legitimate chance of making the college football playoff. But let's just be honest, everyone. The Georgia Bulldogs at number one are heads and shoulders, are heads and shoulders above everyone else right now. That defense is just absolutely fantastic. I mean, not even Tennessee, who was running that air raid aggro offense, absolutely fast-paced, could even score on these guys. So if that Georgia defense is playing how it's been all season long heading into the playoff and they play like that in the playoff, holy Toledo, I don't think anyone's going to be able to score on it. And I think Georgia can ultimately repeat, but this is why we play the games, everybody. We don't know what could happen going into championship week and Ultimately, who makes the top four of the playoffs? Even though I do think Georgia's going to make it in, who in the heck knows? Because sports sports these days, in terms of the results and everything that's just been going on, has just been absolutely absurd, to say the least. But we're going to transition into the NFL. We're going to be talking a lot more college football now that we're starting to heading into championship week. The college football playoff rankings are starting to heat up by the week so be ready for some consistent college football playoff talks and just college football as a whole we're going to be talking more and more about it as we start to hit down the stretch of the season there but let's get into the NFL so week 10 of the NFL was actually pretty interesting because normally we don't have this but a lot of family ties and family members going up against each other and we had quite a few. We had Nick Chubb versus Bradley Chubb. Nick Chubb on the Browns. Bradley Chubb just acquired by the Miami Dolphins. Those two are cousins and they played against each other. We had the St. Brown brothers. Amon Ross St. Brown for Detroit. Equinamia St. Brown for the Chicago Bears. Dalvin Cook versus James Cook. James Cook, the rookie, 
who plays for the Buffalo Bills, and then Dalvin Cook, the studly running back for the Minnesota Vikings. And unfortunately, we didn't get this matchup, but we're still going to mention it just for kicks. But the Bosa brothers, the first time ever they would have gone against each other within their careers. Nick Bosa obviously plays for the San Francisco 49ers. And Joey Bosa for the Los Angeles Chargers. But Joey Bosa was unfortunately out with injury. So there was a lot of headlines coming in, but didn't get the amount of attention it would have deserved just because Joey was out with an injury. And the Carolina Panthers. This game was an absolute snooze fest, as most Thursday night football games have been this year. The Panthers do win 25-15 to in what was a pretty much a meaningless division game in the NFC South. Two terrible teams that are in third and fourth place pretty much, or at least fighting for it at this point. And just my overall takeaway on this game, we'll start with the Falcons. I think it's really time, and I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna say it's a bold statement at this point, but it's really time for the Falcons to replace Marcus Mariota at quarterback. I mean, this passing game should be considered a legitimate threat with all the talent that they have at wide receiver between Drake London and Kyle Pitts, among others. I mean, these are like wide receivers with extremely high upside, yet Marcus Mariota is overthrowing Kyle Pitts in that Charger game. He can't hit Drake London in stride in this game. There's just, Marcus Mariota just simply can't hit these wide receivers. And you go look at the numbers and you could crunch them all up for Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Oh, they're not having good years. Well, if you watch the games, you're, you're seeing why. Because Marcus Mariota is making making it extremely difficult for these guys to make plays. And that's a legitimate problem. And another thing with the Falcons. Their run game, if they don't establish a run game and establish a rhythm on the ground, Marcus Mariota is forced to make throws with constant pressure. That's a massive issue. We saw it in this game against the Panthers. I mean, he his decision-making was just absolutely ridiculous. This guy's throwing balls when he's on his way to the ground. He's throwing it sideways. I mean, the Thursday Night Football broadcast, every time he would make one of those silly and goofy throws they just cut straight to Arthur Smith and it looked like he just wanted to put his head through the TV like it was just insanity and what's the worst thing that's going to happen you put in Desmond Ritter the rookie out of Cincinnati with young wide receivers that have talent and have extremely high upside you can see what you have within the kid Marcus Mariota you signed him on a two-year deal he didn't he doesn't have the keys to the franchise here He's just here to be a part of the rebuild and just play games and for the next seasons while you continue to establish a foundation within your franchise and with these young players that could ultimately be a part of your future. As far as the Carolina Panthers side of things, PJ Walker didn't really have too much of a dramatic impact in this game. He didn't hit a couple good throws. We'll give him some credit. The Panthers defense was incredible and that's part partially because this Panthers off this Falcons offensive line was torn into pieces heading into the week. Jake Matthews, who's a really talented left tackle by the way. He doesn't get enough credit for what he does on the football field. He didn't practice too much heading into this game on a short week. He was back and forth between Atlanta and Carolina. 
because he had some family issues. You had a third string left guard in there as well next to him. So the Falcons offensive line just wasn't their normal selves. Panthers defense had five sacks, could have gotten a lot more. Defense was going crazy, but how about Dante Foreman? I mean, this guy has just been a real nice guy. And he did some good things in Tennessee last year behind Derrick Henry and while he was hurt for the Titans last year. But after the Christian McCaffrey trade, Dante Foreman has been a big part of this Panther offense and is putting up a, a lot of big numbers, which fantasy football owners are really starting to like. Let's transition into the games that occurred on Sunday, starting off with that early morning international game that was played in Germany. And this was actually a very fun game. Usually these international games are just are dreadful to watch, just like this year on Thursday Night Football. But we actually got a good one here between the Seahawks and the Buccaneers. Buccaneers win this ball game 21-16. to And this was the Buccaneers' most complete game of the year, in my opinion. I mean, that touchdown drive two weeks ago against... I mean, that touchdown drive and win over the Rams, I think, impacted the entire dynamic of this football team going forward. I mean, trying to establish some sort of rhythm offensively. They never had that until the final 40 seconds of that Rams game, which ultimately ended up in a victory for Tampa Bay. So they really carried that momentum into this game. And you could just see after that game against the Rams that Brady looked like he won the Super Bowl. He's hugging all the players. He's hugging Byron Leftwich, his offensive coordinator. Tom Brady, you can just tell he needed a drive like that, a win like that against the Rams. And this carried over. I mean, the Bucks' offense, like I said, is the best it's looked. How about 10 for 15 on third down? That's called getting it done. Brady and his receivers, if you watch this game, you could just tell they were on the same page. We didn't see Brady throw those balls where... His receivers look confused, and he looks confused, and he's frustrated. We saw that a little bit because you're going to get that with Tom Brady. He wants to make a play on as much as possible. But, I mean, for this offense, and the defense for that matter, to go in and limit a red-hot Seahawks team was really impressive. I don't care if it was in Germany. I think this is a sign of, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers potentially finding their rhythm, potentially getting hot, potentially running away with this division. The Buccaneers, we'll see how this goes. They're heading into a bye this weekend. So we shall see how they come off the bye. Usually Brady is good coming off a bye. Usually that extra week in preparation, especially the way they're playing now, I think coming off the bye is going to be really good for them. Transitioning into the Seahawks. We haven't really talked about the Seahawks too much during their win streak. I haven't given the Seahawks team enough credit. I mean, the things that they're doing, we talked about them and their win over the Broncos in week one way, way back months ago and how that was really their Super Bowl for this team and we didn't really know what to expect going forward with the rebuilding team and all the young players that they have. I mean, Geno Smith has been incredible. We're talking about comeback player of the year material here for Geno. He's been one of the most accurate quarterbacks. His completion percentage has been off the charts. No one was expecting that. He's got one of the best deep balls this year, believe it or not. 
between Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. That one-two punch at wide receiver has been incredible for them. And how about the Seahawks draft this year? It's all about the young players for this team. And we we talk, if you can nail the draft as a rebuilding franchise and hit on four to five draft picks, as crazy as that sounds, but teams do it more often than not, your rebuild in terms of how many years, how long, in terms of how many years your rebuild takes shortens significantly. I mean, we're talking about Kenneth Walker, which we'll get into more about Kenneth Walker, but Tariq Woolen, people are talking about him, defensive rookie of the year. He's been a top cover corner along with Sauce Gardner this year. Kobe Bryant, this guy's been a forced fumble machine. Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross, the left and the right tackle. Two brand new tackles for the Seahawks, and they've been they've been holding up very well for being for being rookies. So kudos to all those guys, but especially Geno Smith, because nobody knew what we were going to get out of Geno this year. And for him to come in and just come out guns blazing every single week and put the team on his back and just score all these points at will has been amazing. And that defense has just been exceeding expectations. But Kenneth Walker, this guy has really come alive, the rookie out of Michigan State, since Rashad Penny went down approximately four to five weeks ago to this point. Or he's getting four to five yards per carry type material. Like, the way he is running the football right now behind the Seahawks offensive line is incredible. And he's done it twice against the Cardinals. He did it really well against the New York Giants. This was the first time since he's... Since he's been inserted as officially RB1, where he couldn't run the ball as much. And if you go crunch up the numbers, Walker was getting at least 20 carries when the Seahawks were winning football games and getting a touchdown with at least 100 yards. In this game, how about 10 carries for 17 yards? So you could tell Todd Bowles and his defense made that the number one point of emphasis heading into this game in Germany, and that was stopping Kenneth Walker, and they did. But as far as the Seahawks are concerned, as far as long-term-wise and this season, this is a team you got to start taking seriously if you haven't already. Because, okay, they're going to have... They were kind of in a bad spot in Germany, and you knew Tampa Bay with Tom Brady, international, he's, he's money in international games, Tom Brady. You knew, okay, if there's going to be a flat spot, it could be this one for Seattle. But as far as the division goes, they're first place in the division. San Francisco 49ers are lurking. There is a big-time Thursday night football matchup between the Seahawks and the 49ers. Not only if you're one of the fans of those two teams, but if you're just a football fan overall, you know the 49ers and the Seahawks always play tough and tight games and the 49ers played the Seahawks in week two where things weren't really going their way they didn't really establish their identity just yet now they know what they can do they could run the ball with Kenneth Walker Geno Smith is officially a threat as a quarterback this defense has proven that they could win football games so I'm I'm very interested to see after the Seahawks hot streak after a loss Can they keep the train rolling? Can they keep the train on the train tracks for the remainder of the season? 
And as for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is this a sign of them really starting to run away with the division? And is this a sign of them peaking at the right time and potentially making a deep playoff push? Let's get into the game of the weekend between the Minnesota Vikings and the Buffalo Bills. The Vikings win 33-30 to in overtime in the game of the year, in my opinion. And most people will probably say the same. Because this was a game, you want to talk about late game heroics and, and talking about fighting to the final play. This was definitely a prime example of that. I mean, the Bills... They came out guns blazing in the first half. They put up a lot of points. They had a 10-point lead. They had a multi-possession lead at halftime. Looked like they were controlling it. But if you know the recipe with the Minnesota Vikings this year, they're not going to give up in the second half. They have a lot of fourth-quarter comebacks this year. Their record in one-score games is absolutely phenomenal with a 7-0 record. So you knew, especially after Dalvin Cook had that fantastic and game-changing touchdown run. I think it was like over 80 yards. You knew that that game in the fourth quarter was just getting started because the Vikings, at that point, were down 17. One explosive play later, they're down 10 points. And once when we hit that fourth quarter, when the Vikings were down 10 points, the Buffalo Bills, it almost seemed like they got a little too... Comfortable. I know that sounds crazy, but the decision making from Josh Allen just wasn't right. I mean, this guy's throwing once when they get into the red zone, they start throwing touchdowns. They haven't been good in the red zone as crazy as that as that sounds this year. They either go for it or settle for field goals. They don't hit the end zone as much as they should, especially with the personnel that they have on offense. But Josh Allen made some timely mistakes, and I don't know why he's running the football even after that UCL injury that he was in question all week heading in if whether he was going to play or not. This guy's a maniac and start running for the football. I know he wants to make plays and he's an absolute gamer and wants to be, he wants to leave an imprint on the game. But at some point, if you're the coaching staff, you got to say, hey, we got a long-term goal here and that's to win a Super Bowl. And everybody knows that in the room that this team is a Super Bowl caliber team. But you had a tough loss against the Jets. Josh Allen didn't play necessarily well in that game. In this loss, I'd say in that second half, he didn't play good. So I think it's a little bit of a reality check here for the Buffalo Bills, if you ask me. In terms of everybody's anointed this team, including myself, that they're just going to go to the Super Bowl. You got to earn it. This team hasn't, as sexy as this team looks, they haven't been able to play four quarters consistently. Consistently, You notice that this team, when they win, they win big. They haven't been good in these tight games, and that's going to happen in the playoffs. And I'm just afraid that this team in January, when they're on the road in Kansas City or they're playing a big game against Miami in the playoffs, that they could tighten up. So that's my number one, I would say, point of emphasis heading in, heading going forward for the Bills is 
when they're in these tight games, they need to make big-time plays. Josh Allen's decision-making has to be better. But as far as this game was concerned, I mean, the Minnesota Vikings offense with the addition of TJ Hawkinson has just been massive. I mean, he's he's just one more threat on third down. Hawkinson, you know, he played in Detroit, was kind of in a shadow. Now he comes over to Minnesota. This guy's getting red zone targets as he should. And how about that fourth and 18 grab by Justin Jefferson? When their backs were against the wall, the Minnesota Vikings, when they needed one play, if they don't make that play on fourth and 18, the game's over. There's no there's no craziness in terms of what happens afterward, and there's no overtime. Josh Allen and the Bills are taking a knee, and all the fans in Highmark Stadium are exiting the stadium in jubilation. Instead, Justin Jefferson makes one of the best catches I've potentially ever seen, maybe since that OBJ catch on that Sunday night football game years and years ago that is one of the most iconic plays in sports history. That's probably the next best catch, that Justin Jefferson snag. Just the fact that it was 4th and 18 when you needed a play inside the two-minute warning, and the way that he caught that with coverage couldn't be any better. He goes up way upstairs, one hand snags it, and just simply makes it look easy. He has that catch. They score a touch. They don't score a touchdown, actually. They get all the way to the red zone, the Vikings do. On fourth and goal, Kirk Cousins gets stopped on a quarterback sneak. And I was watching this game, and I told the family who I was watching the game with, a really tough place to be. And they were literally at the one-inch line where the Buffalo Bills and chaos can happen. That if, if chaos were to transpire, that is the one place you don't want to be, and that's inside your own one-yard line. And the snap exchange wasn't clean between the center and the quarterback. Josh Allen fumbled the ball. Eric Kendricks hops on top of it. He gets the touchdown in improbable fashion. Then the Buffalo Bills have to come back, score, and get into field goal range. They do that. Then we head to overtime. The Vikings win the toss. They settle for a field goal. And then Josh Allen, to potentially win the game, they're in the red zone or just outside of it, and he throws an interception, and it was a bad one. Straight to Patrick Peterson, which Patrick Peterson had two interceptions in that game. And that was Josh Allen's bad That was Josh Allen's fault. He shouldn't have made that throw. I don't know if it was miscommunication between him and his wide receivers, but that play shouldn't have happened if you're the Buffalo Bills. And that's why ultimately I'm starting to pull back on my stock on the Bills until they prove that they could come out of these tight ball games. But as far as the Minnesota Vikings are concerned, we got to start talking about this team really as as a legitimate threat in the NFC. There's only one problem with this team, in my opinion, and that's Kirk Cousins. Because Kirk Cousins in January and in primetime is not good. And I think that's what's going to hold this team back when it's all said and done. Can Kirk Cousins come out of his shell and make that big play when the lights are at the brightest, when everybody worldwide is watching you on television? Can you make that play like you did on Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern? Can you do it on a Sunday night in the biggest of moments? I don't know. We haven't seen it from Kirk Cousins. History shows that he hasn't been able to do it. 
until he proves it otherwise, I'm not going to say that this Vikings team is going to go to the Super Bowl. I think right now their ceiling is an NFC Championship game, but their one-score game track record is absolutely incredible at 7-0. They're going to win the division, and they're going to be in the playoffs, and they're going to have a home playoff game, so you better fear them. For Let's talk about what's going on at Soldier Field in Chicago as they take on the Detroit Lions and lose to the Detroit Lions due to the Chicago Bears with a final score of 31-30. to And this was a wildly entertaining game if you'd like offense as both of these defenses at this point of the season have been not very good to say the least. And when you get a high-scoring division shootout like you do here, obviously a lot of players got to make plays in this game. And I'll tell you what, there is a lot of excitement coming out of Chicago right now, despite them losing football games. Because Justin Fields is playing the best stretch as a pro quarterback right now. He is using his mobility as a threat. And you could just tell Justin Fields' level of confidence the past couple weeks is on the rise. And there's a the, the city of Chicago should be excited because they haven't had a quarterback like Justin Fields. And, I mean, they're selling out the place at Soldier Field despite them Despite them being a 3-7 and seven record, that tells you all you need to know. I mean, Fields is rushing for 147 yards. He is passing for 167 yards in this game. He had four total touchdowns in this game. And when you have runners like Justin Fields and Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery in the backfield, it's going to open up big plays for the receivers like a, a Darnell Mooney and a Cole Komet, Cole Komet, their tight end that they really like. He led his team in receiving yards with 74. That doesn't seem like a flashy number because the Bears really don't pass the ball too well as their strengths really come on the ground game. But like we've mentioned before, when you run the ball well, things open up within the passing game. And they don't have the receivers right now, but Darnell Mooney's a guy that they really like and is their wide receiver one for the Chicago Bears. He is starting to come alive a little bit, and you're starting to see the player that he's becoming to be as they're starting to go to him more so on third down more than ever, and he's going to become a threat in this offense. It's just going to come with time, and the lack of playmakers just aren't there right now for Chicago. But we've mentioned this before. We mentioned it in the episode earlier with the Houston Texans. This time of the year for rebuilding teams like the Bears is when you could really evaluate a player. And we're going to give a shout out to a player that Bears fans are going to hear a lot more from. And that's rookie linebacker Jack Sanborn. He had himself one heck of a football game. How about nine tackles, two sacks? He had one nice sack on third and goal on Jared Goff when the, when the Lions were in the red zone. So good for him. He's making an imprint on this Chicago Bears defense that doesn't have too many playmakers right now. They've been they traded all of them away during the trade deadline. So it's a it's good for somebody like Jack Sanborn to really shine out and flash his abilities as he's going to be a big part of this future for the Chicago Bears. And I think this Bears franchise is getting more fascinating by the week with Justin Fields emerging as a pro because you see they don't like their defense isn't good right now and their offense is kind of one-dimensional with their ground game. But this is a team that's got over $120 million in gap space. I can't wait to see what they do in the offseason for the Chicago Bears because I think they're they're with the new management and Ryan Poles and 
head coach Matt Eberflus, this team's playing with confidence despite them losing. The the Bears are, believe it or not, heading in somewhat of a right direction. And it's all because of Justin Fields. So good for him. I've always been a Justin Fields guy since he's been at Ohio State, even though I'm not a big fan of the Ohio State program. Good for Fields. I'm happy for him. As far as the Lions are concerned, they did win this game. And Jared Goff, it was good to see him. If you're a Lion fan and this Lions team as a whole, have a clutch game-winning drive. Seems like they've always been on the wrong end of these game-winning drives, these game-winning drives, because the defense just can't hold up. Can you believe it was the Lions' first road win since December of 2020? Yeah, that's right. 2020 in December was their last road win. So that tells you all you need to know about the struggles that the Lions have had outside of Ford Field. Good for them. It was much needed. It was a much needed win against their division rival. How about Amon Ross St. Brown? We haven't heard this guy's name in a while. Probably since like week four, he's been in and out of the lineup. Good to see him back up and running 100 plus receiving yards through the air. And like we said, it was his first impact in a football game since injury. How about Tom Kennedy? He was a big part of that game winning drive for the Detroit Lions. He's filling in for the lack of playmakers that they have right now as DJ Chark is out as well as Josh Reynolds. Tom Kennedy, if you know Lion football, you know that this guy's a preseason warrior. He had himself a massive 44-yard catch and run on that game-winning drive. Good for him. And if you want to talk about anything as far as the Detroit Lions and concerns and something that might benefit our listeners, pay attention to this Lions running back room and who gets a majority of the carries going forward because Jamal Williams, former Green Bay Packer, finished the game as RB1 and he scored the game-winning drive touchdown. So... Jamal Williams getting a majority of the carries against the Bears this past weekend. I'm interested to see how, how does this go because DeAndre Swift, he's been in and out with injury, but he has had a rough going the past couple weeks. I mean, we're talking, to, we he's had plenty of opportunities to have big runs because of this offensive line, which is like a top three offensive line in the NFL, the Detroit Lions do. They have some big boys and good run blockers up front. And he's just been completely abandoned the run blocking on some plays, especially in that red zone. And that's why you're seeing Jamal Williams in the red zone finishing off drives with touchdowns because they like Williams more and they know that he's going to take advantage of that Lions front, a Lions front that is very talented, as we mentioned. So pay attention down the stretch of the season to see who's getting more carries, Williams or or Swift, especially to you fantasy football players out there. Because if Jamal Williams is getting a lot of the workload down the stretch of the season, I would possibly consider trading for him as he could be a potential league winner in your fantasy leagues. I mean, and this has been the whole season. Right when they're at goal to go, they don't even care. They will give it to Jamal Williams. They will insert him into the game because he is just such a power runner once when they get into those goal line situations do the Lions. And they've done it all year since week one. And that tells you kind of all you need to know that DeAndre Swift, despite him being a second round pick a couple years ago, and he was having all this talk at the beginning of the season that he was going to have a big year. We're talking about a thousand yards on the ground and receiving. This, this is what he said during the preseason. I mean, it's not looking so well right now as... The RB2 coming into the year is outplaying you and is getting 
more carries in a division game than you right now. So pay attention to this Lions, these two Lion running backs, as it could really impact the fantasy football world as well as the Detroit Lions' future. Let's transition into the Denver Broncos versus the Tennessee Titans. Titans win a nail-biter 17-10. And this was one of those games heading into the weekend where you kind of knew it was going to be a low-scoring slugfest. Not a lot of offense going on. Defenses dominate. And that's kind of what we got. I mean, we're talking about heading into this ball game. Broncos having the number one red zone defense. Titans, number one red zone offense. So something had to give in terms of those stats. How about this? The Broncos offense, worst third down offense in the league. The Titans, the best third down defense. So... Very interesting how these two teams matched up in terms of their offenses and defenses going at it. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But the Tennessee Titans came out of this game with the victory. And this team just finds a way to win. We didn't really talk about their win streak all too much. Because, you know, they really they weren't really doing too much to win. They were pounding the ball with Derrick Henry pretty much on first down, second down, and third down. And doing it effectively. And their defense leading the charge. But Derrick Henry was contained in this game by the Broncos defense. So I really thought watching this game. Okay, this is Denver's game to win. I mean, you're doing your job. I mean, the the Titans offense is stalling. And you want to talk about containing Derrick Henry. This is as good as it gets. 19 carries, 53 yards. We're talking about three less than three yards per carry. That's pretty good with how good Derrick Henry is and the caliber type player he is. He is really one of the, uh, he is a tier one running back. He's the best running back in the NFL. I think there's no denying that at this point. But how about this Titans defense? I mean, really, six sacks on Russell Wilson with one interception. And that's the thing. We don't want to talk about the Tennessee Titans in terms of their defense, myself included, because they don't have any flashy players. But the fact of the matter is, Mike Vrabel's defense is extremely well coached. They're extremely well prepared. You notice they don't get busted on many coverages and they get to the quarterback and you might be looking at their defensive line going, what? These guys get to the quarterback with Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Audrey and Tyre Tart? Yeah, they're doing it. And David Long Jr., one of their linebackers, has been one of the best players on this Titan defense this year. And let's just be honest, it's a bunch of no-names outside of Kevin Bayard in their secondary, but they're getting it done. They're stopping teams. They're limiting and shutting down opposing offenses. And credit to Mike Vrabel, I think he really is a top five coach in the NFL because it doesn't matter who they roll out onto the field offensively or defensively. I know they got Derrick Henry, but this team finds ways to win football games And even when they're underdogs, like look at that game in Kansas City with the Titans a couple weeks ago with Malik Willis, at quarterback, who's got no experience at all heading into that ruckus and rambunctious atmosphere at Arrowhead Stadium. And it was just the Tennessee Titan defense, the power of Derrick Henry, and they almost won the game outright. So that just shows how good of a coach Mike Vrabel is and 
we got to give credit to Coach Vrabel because he is really doing one heck of a job in Tennessee right now for the personnel that they really have on the field. But as far as this game is concerned and how they got it done, Titans have some had some explosive plays. Derrick Henry, like we said, was contained in this ball game. Well, what the heck happened? Nick Westbrook Akine happened. How about a 66-yard touchdown busted coverage by the Denver Bronco defense? Wide receivers aren't flashy at all. They had a remarkable stat I saw a couple weeks ago where A.J. Brown has more receiving yards than the entire Titans wide receiver room. So that just goes to show how much they're relying on Derrick Henry, how weak the wide receiver room has been for the Tennessee Titans. And like I said, they're just finding ways to win. Switching gears to the Denver Broncos. I really don't know what to say about this offense anymore. Just think about this. If the Denver Broncos scored 18 points every week, they would be 8-1. and one. Like, that is just ridiculous. That just shows how good this Denver Bronco defense has played. And for the record that they have, just shows you how bad they've been on offense. And I've understood, I'm starting to understand the formula, finally, with this Denver team. Because they tease you. They tease you in the first quarter. And they have a really productive drive where they get points and they look comfortable with Russell Wilson. And you think, this might be the game where they actually figure it out, turn the corner, and they could potentially have a good second half to the season. So they have that one good drive, and they had it in this game. They hit Jalen Virgil for like a 66 or what, 66 yard bomb or whatever it was, 57. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But they hit an explosive play to one of their wide receivers deep on the depth chart. And you thought, okay, this is the time for the Broncos' offense to really start to click. And then all of a sudden, they get into their mislapses where they can't do anything in terms of running the football. They get behind the sticks. Russell Wilson's throwing incomplete passes, and we're right back to square one in terms of they can't put points on the board, and everything seems difficult for the Broncos' offense. And here's the thing, too. I would say at this point of the season for the Broncos just to tank and get a good draft pick, but the point, the fact of the matter is, is that they traded away that draft pick and it's the Seattle Seahawks draft pick. So you can tank all you want. You're just going to benefit Seattle come draft night when it's all said and done. So the Broncos, they got to really figure this out with their head coach, Russell Wilson, the playmakers. Outside of the defense, they got a lot of stuff to figure out. The Walter Penner group's got to make some sort of change. It can't be with Russell Wilson because you owe this guy a quarter of a billion dollars for the next five years. So it's got to stay within Russell Wilson. I don't know how to fix the problem. Maybe fire Nathaniel Hackett and get a new play caller altogether. You got to talk to Russell Wilson behind the scenes to figure this thing out because the city of Denver is real, was really expecting big things this year. The defense is playing the great. The Broncos offense has just been absolutely brutal to say that. Let's go to Kansas City as the Jacksonville Jaguars take on the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs. Come out with the victory. Final score of 27-17. to 17. And let's just put it plain and simple right now. The Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the NFL right now, in my opinion. They're the number one on my hierarchy. They're the number one team in my power rankings. I don't think it's even close. And it's simply because they're winning football games with Patrick Mahomes and all the against the Jacksonville Jaguars was big time. 
in terms of the Chiefs really taking the next step within their offense, the new pieces are have finally settled in and they're finally starting to produce. Juju Smith-Schuster, since that game against the San Francisco 49ers where he tore him apart, he's only going up. He has 100-plus yards receiving. He's got a touchdown in the last couple games. He is really starting to flourish. But more importantly, he's becoming a go-to guy on third down. Everybody kind of knew, at least for the first half of the season, it was obvious. It's the Travis Kelsey show. We got to just keep feeding Kelsey as much as possible. And his workload was insane. Not that I'm saying it's going to go down, but on third down, you knew who was going to go to. Now it was Travis Kelsey. Now they got some more weaponry for Mahomes in terms of they finally have a guy outside of Kelsey that can hurt you. And that's only going to make this this Chiefs offense more of a threat. So Juju Smith-Schuster finally starting to get comfortable within this Andy Reid offense. I think that's big time in terms of the Chiefs push to the Super Bowl. How about Isaiah Pacheco? Finally, he took over. He's he's the premier RB1 for this Chiefs offense right now. Yes, it doesn't help that Clyde Edwards-Alaire was out with injury, but it's the next man up type mentality in the NFL. NFL's a business. You got to take over and you got to prove that you can be that guy. And you are a team. You are You do have an ultimate goal in terms of winning, but at the same time, you're playing for yourself. And that's what Isaiah Pacheco's doing right now. Seventh round pick, or out of Rutgers, and you kind of knew when, especially in that game weeks and weeks ago against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that this guy was emerging in that running back room in Kansas City, and you're seeing it. He's getting all the carries now, and he is a big-time vocal point in this Chiefs offense. And how about Kadarius Toney? Somehow, the Chiefs at the trade deadline, just fleece the New York Giants for this guy. Kadarius Toney, obviously a stud in the SEC when he played at Florida. This guy was a first-round draft pick for the New York Giants. Obviously, didn't pan out. He had his issues within the organization over there in New York. He wants out. He comes in, scores his, in this first game as a Chief, scores his first career touchdown. I thought he hit the end zone in New York. He never did. Dude scores his first career touchdown in his first game with the Kansas City Chiefs, a dude that you only, the Chiefs only traded away a third and like a six round draft pick for this guy, a young wide receiver that's proven that he's gotten, that he has ridiculous upside. I don't know how Kansas City pulled this trade off. Obviously, New York just wanted to get him the heck out of the room. But man, of all places to trade him, really, Kansas City with all the weapons. And how good Patrick Mahomes is and the creativity of Andy Reid in this offense, man, that's tough. But as far as this Jacksonville Jaguars team is concerned, and in this game, there's too many missed opportunities. You hit the red zone, you couldn't convert on third down. Riley Patterson missed two field goals in the first half. You can't miss field goals. You can't make mistakes against this Kansas City Chiefs team because they're going to score touchdowns on you. And Patrick Mahomes is going to make you pay. You got to play, you got to bring your A-plus game against the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you don't, you're simply going to lose. And another problem too, the Jaguars offense, they didn't have a scoring drive until inside the two-minute warning of the first half. That can't happen. Yet they in year one with Doug Peterson, in year two with Trevor Lawrence, which Trevor Lawrence has really taken a big-time leap in terms of being a quarterback in the NFL after his rookie season with, with Urban Meyer. I think... They're doing their job right now 
as crazy as that sounded, despite their record. Because Trevor Lawrence is showing strides within his game. The wide receiver room is is actually performing quite well with Marvin Jones Jr., Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and they got a stud running back in Travis Etienne with extreme upside, not to mention it was, he was his college teammate with Trevor Lawrence, so that helps out significantly. The Jaguar defense has really has been up and down this year, which we knew coming in, but this Jacksonville Jaguar team, we talked about them competing. They have, but they haven't been on the right side of the one-score games. And I'm talking, they're like 1-6 in in one-score games this year. It's a remarkable number. But they literally just can't come up on the right side of these games down the stretch of football games. And that's okay because you're still a franchise that is technically still rebuilding. But I think games like this for Jacksonville, it's a good learning experience for a young quarterback like Trevor Lawrence. And just overall a locker room with a lot of youth in it. I think they could learn a lot from this game against Kansas City going into a hostile environment and just learn, say, hey, this is what we want to be in a year or two. Be that type of team in terms of they really go on a deep playoff run in years from now because they got the right head coach. Their quarterback is taking steps into the right, right direction and they're slowly starting to rebuild this thing they're just their record just doesn't end. let's get into the Cleveland Browns versus the Miami Dolphins Dolphins win in blowout fashion 39 to 17 in a very impressive performance by the Miami Dolphins this past weekend and we know we all know that the offense is explosive to say the least between the wide receivers of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle but how about this run game? This offense is firing on all cylinders, not only through the air, but within the ground as well. They're showing no signs of being stopped. Jeff Wilson Jr. just recently acquired at the trade deadline, former San Francisco 49er, already fitting well within this system under Mike McDaniel. Sure, is pretty much the same system with Kyle Shanahan, but 119 yards and one touchdown on the ground. Raheem Mostert, 65 yards on the ground. One touchdown for him as well. And you notice too, every single time Tua Tagovailoa starts and finishes the games he starts, they win. They haven't lost a game this season when he starts and finishes. Their only losses came on that Thursday night football game in which he got injured and had that concussion. And when they started Teddy Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson, their two backup quarterbacks. Those are their only losses. But this offense... Is clicking on all cylinders. I don't know who's going to stop this offense. This is starting to become a really dangerous team right now. If there is a team I'm really buying into heading into the second half of the season and into the playoffs, it's really this Miami Dolphins team because they could score and put up points with anybody. They're, they're without a doubt the number one offense with Tua, their wide receivers, their running backs. You get the point. Mike McDaniel is doing one heck of a job in Miami, calling the plays. But to me, it's defensively. Defensively, they've been up and down this season. But to me, this was really a big statement from a defensive standpoint for the Miami Dolphins this past weekend. Strong bounce back after giving up a million yards to the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears to come back and contain Nick Chubb for 63 yards 
that is a win for this Miami Dolphin defense. And how about Bradley Chubb already making a significant impact after getting traded by the Denver Broncos, absolutely living in the backfield, delivering several hits on Jacoby Brissett. This Dolphin defense, pay attention to it during the second half of the season because if they start to string really good games together and this offense continues to fire on all cylinders, this is a team I do not want to see come playoff time. This is really the definition of a complete football team if that Dolphin defense could start playing consistently and start following what that Dolphin offense is doing. But let's talk about the Cleveland Browns for a sec because the sky is falling with Jacoby Brissett. The countdown to Deshaun Watson's return is officially on in that Cleveland Browns locker room. He is officially practicing and getting first-team reps now with the Cleveland Browns, which is a big deal, obviously, because he's the future of the franchise. He's the quarterback that everyone wants to see, obviously, and they only invested their whole future in him, so he better turn out good for them. But we all know that Nick Chubb is a big power in this offense, and with Jacoby Brissett, they've been one-dimensional in terms of they're going to just pound the football with that offense, with that offensive line up front, and Nick Chubb, he's an absolute monster within the ground game. But to me, it is right now the past couple weeks, Amari Cooper being more active in hitting the end zone and getting a lot more red zone targets. Donovan Peoples-Jones being a lot more productive. This is what I've wanted to see from the Cleveland Browns all year. Now they're finally getting it within their pass catchers. And now with Deshaun Watson coming back in two weeks' time, sure, you're going to have to reestablish some chemistry a little bit, and you'll do so in practice over the next couple weeks upon his return. But to see Kevin Stefanski involve Amari Cooper and Peoples-Jones a lot more, and I think you'll see a lot more David Njoku within the tight ends as well as he's coming. He's slowly going to start coming back from injury. Those are some talented wide receivers and a talented tight end that you have. And if you combine that with Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson picks up the pieces in his play and what happened, if he performs the way he was in Houston before the whole debacle happened with the franchise and his personal issues off the field, this is going to be a dangerous football team offensively. Defensively, they got a lot of work to do. Sure, they have Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney up front, but this secondary has been an absolute mess. They're giving up points left, right, and center, even the bad football teams. I mean, even bad football teams are scoring on this team. Defensively is where the main point of emphasis is right now, but as far as the second half is concerned, and with Deshaun Watson, you want to end the season on a good note, establish some chemistry, get Nick Chubb on the ground game rolling, make sure this offensive line up front stays healthy, and let's see some more of Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones. Because what you do in the second half with Deshaun Watson this season is what you're going to see in the Cleveland Browns all next year. And if you're a Browns fan, you got to most definitely look forward to it. So this is ultimately a preview of what you're going to see next year within this Cleveland Brown offense. Let's get into the Houston Texans versus the New York Giants. Giants win this ball game at home 24-16 and the Giants improve to a 7-2 record as the Houston Texans fall to a 1-7-1 record. And let's start out with Houston because all the avid podcast listeners that have been listening to the to my NFL breakdowns every week have known that I've been a protector and a supporter for this Houston Texans team this year. But the wheels have officially fallen off for this team. 
despite only losing by eight points, this team could not move the football at all this game. And I think you really saw them throw in the towel a couple weeks ago against the Tennessee Titans, in which they just ran the ball with Derrick Henry down their throats over 200 yards on the ground for Henry. And Malik Willis, who made his first career start in that game, only threw the ball seven times. That tells you all you need to know. And with that Houston Texans offense, that game, they didn't score their first touchdown until one minute left in the fourth quarter. So you want to talk about inconsistency at quarterback, at wide receiver. This team has been an absolute joke the past couple weeks, and you can just tell that the wheels have felt, have fallen off. Not to mention, Davis Mills has been absolutely brutal. They decided to give him the run this year, but I think it's time. I think the evaluation period is over, that he is not going to be a part of this future of the franchise in terms of a long-term quarterback position. I think it's time you go attack the quarterback position in the draft or do something, wait another year if you don't like and find your guy. But the inconsistency with Davis Mills and with wide receivers for that matter. You got Brandon Cooks having trouble with the franchise and having his frustrations after not getting traded. Nico Collins been in and out of the lineup. Seems like every week there is a new wide receiver that's leading this team in receiving. This past weekend it was tight end Jordan Aikens. It just hasn't been there for this offense. And long-term wise, this team's got a lot of stuff to work on. I mean, there, I could only point to about three guys right now that are going to be a part of this future of the franchise. We're talking about Jalen Preetree, the rookie out of Baylor, this playing the safety position. He's been good for this team. He's gone through his growing pains. But people that watch this Texans team, he's been good for them this year. And Derek Stingley, obviously you expended a top five draft pick on him this year. I think he is going to find a rhythm here at the cornerback position. He's just had a lot of tough matchups over the past couple weeks, but he will find his own. He was really good at LSU, and I expect him to be good in the NFL. And Damian Pierce, he is the only reason, he's the reason why this team is staying upright and actually scoring points right now. I mean, this dude's an absolute beast. I think once when you give him a solidified offensive line that you're going to see things happen with him, but you didn't see it this week, 17 carries, for 94 yards against a good tech, or against a good New York Giants run defense. But Pierce is an absolute animal. I think we've seen that this year. I think for the Texans right now, it's just to survive and get to the end of the season and let the offseason take care of itself. But as for the New York Giants, this is this was an easy game for them. This was simply run the football with Saquon Barkley and put Daniel Jones in a position to succeed. And that's been the formula with the New York Giants this year. It's been it's been a run first football team with all with the lack of receivers that they've had and the depth at wide receiver that they had. It's been the Saquon Barkley show and it's been sprinkled in with Daniel Jones being put in the right position by his coaches and play callers and Brian Dable and the offensive coordinator to make these easy throws or take off on a on a quarterback option on third and short. Sure, the defense has played really good under Wink Martindale because of his defensive schemes and the his disguising of dialing up these blitzes along with this run defense performing at a high level. But the New York Giants, they have to control the football game in order to win. I know they've been good under these one-score games and they're 7-2 and two because they've had a weak schedule all year, but that's been the formula of the Giants. They took care of, the, they took care of business against the Houston Texans as they should. Interesting to see how the New York Giants fit in and go on in the second half.
because they have a lot of division matchups coming up down the stretch of the season. Let's talk about two teams after this game have three wins to their name, and we're talking about the New Orleans Saints and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers win this ball game 20 to 10, and we're not going to spend too much time on this ball game because this was honestly not a lot happening in this ball game. Saints offense never established a rhythm, could never click. I mean, Chris Olave has been good for the New Orleans Saints, but he didn't really do too much in this ball game. Jawan Johnson is starting to finally the starting tight end for the Saints do some damage and. His production is starting to go up a lot, which is a good sight to see for the New Orleans Saints. They haven't been able to do too much with Alvin Kamara. He had one good game this past this a couple weeks ago where he scored three touchdowns. Outside of that, we haven't seen too much of him. This Saints defense has been a massive disappointment. I thought this could be a potential turning point for the Saints if they started to play better, but that hasn't happened at all. Marshawn Lattimore has been a gigantic loss for this New Orleans Saints secondary because Chris Harris Jr. has replaced him, and he hasn't been good at all. It is not the Chris Harris Jr. of old that we are known to seeing with the Denver Broncos and the Los, An the Los Angeles Chargers. He has been a train wreck in man coverage for the Saints defense, and the opposing teams are picking on him like there's no tomorrow. So the Saints, let's just be honest, they're not going to do anything this year. And Dennis Allen's been a massive disappointment this year simply because he lied to Jameis Winston, threw him under the bus for pretty for not promoting him as the starter, even though he promised that he would be the starter after he came back from injury. And it's not like Andy Dalton is a much better option at all. I would personally have gone back to Jameis Winston. Dennis Allen has been an absolute train wreck in, in terms of running this Saints locker room. You can just tell it's been just a, a massive disappointment and it's been a massive downgrade after Sean Payton decided to hippity hop his way out of New Orleans. So the Saints right now, it's all about just trying to get healthier, trying to get rhythm with Kamara and keep the Jawan Johnson and Chris Olave train rolling and trying to keep putting up points because they're going to need it besides their defense has been so bad. As far as the Pittsburgh Steelers are concerned, I'm a big fan of Kenny Pickett. I've liked Kenny Pickett a lot this year. I think this is a good time to start him for the rest of the season as he's starting to continue to grow as a quarterback. I really like what they're doing with George Pickens, even though he didn't do too much damage in this ball game with 32 yards and three catches. But I think this is a guy that is going to be a potential wide receiver one, maybe wide receiver two with this Pittsburgh Steelers offense. I think it's all about getting Matt Canada out of town and bringing in a legitimate offensive play caller here for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But you're seeing progression with Kenny Pickett, and I think it's good that you're throwing him under the fire right now in the middle of the season because he's growing as a quarterback, and I think he's going to be a really good quarterback. He just simply needs time. So kudos for the Pittsburgh Steelers for getting out with the victory. I think that's going to boost Kenny Pickett's confidence a lot once when he starts to see that he can win in the NFL and the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's going to take time, but I think they do have the right quarterback in place, and you're seeing that they're starting to put the pieces together offensively and starting to rebuild this thing slowly but surely, but I do think they got the quarterback right. It also helps that they got T.J. Watt back this week, which their track record with him on the field is significant for this team in terms of winning football games, and he makes their defense, without a doubt, so much better.
on in so many different ways. Let's get into one of the more intriguing games of the weekend, believe it or not, between the Indianapolis Colts and the Las Vegas Raiders. Colts go on the road in Vegas and win this game 25-20. to And what was the main headline coming into the week and heading into this game was the surprise hiring of Jeff Saturday. I had coach. Dude was literally days before the hiring and firing of, of Frank Reich, literally doing hits on ESPN and talking about the landscape of the NFL try to survive for the rest of the season. But here's the thing. Jim Ursay, this guy's not afraid. The Colts owner is not afraid to make a bold move and shock the world and raise a couple eyebrows because he's a, he is all about winning. He's not one of these owners that are just going to collect his money and say thank you to the fans for showing up. This guy wants to win a Super Bowl. He's shown that he wants to be aggressive. And I love what he said in the press conference when they introduced Jeff Saturday because he said basically all that. Sure, it may not look good right now, but let's see how it goes. And and here's the thing about the whole Jeff Saturday hiring. I per personally, at first, I had my questions, but after sleeping on it, I actually really do like the hiring because what, what can go wrong? I mean, your season has already taken a downward spiral with Frank Reich and the whole quarterback debacle with Matt Ryan and and Sam Ellinger and the offensive line hasn't played that great, and your lack at wide receiver has been terrible, and Jonathan Taylor has been completely ineffective within the offense after his stellar, after his stellar rookie season. So what can go wrong? Bring in a, a smart guy like Jeff Saturday that's been a team consultant. He knows what's going on to a certain extent with this team. So to just to promote a guy like Jeff Saturday, which, by the way, he played center in the NFL and was one of the best centers during his time in the NFL, this guy knows and his football IQ is extremely smart because the quarterback knows everything that's going on. The center does too. The center has to recognize defensive schemes. He has to know what's going on. He has to call plays out on the fly. He has to say, kill, kill, kill. If the defense is showing something that is not going to work on that play on a certain down and distance. So the center is just as smart as the quarterback, and I don't people realize that. Jeff Saturday is an extremely smart football mind, and I think you're going to see that this, this down the stretch this season, and you saw it in this game because dude was an offensive lineman. You can tell the Colts' offensive line looks so much better overnight than it did for the whole season. I mean, and look at Jonathan Taylor. This guy just absolutely exploded in this win against the Raiders. 22 carries, 147 yards, and one touchdown. His longest run, 66 yards. That's what we saw out of Jonathan Taylor last year. And we're not going to point fingers at Frank Reich and Marcus Brady because the offense was bad. I think this is truly a Jeff Saturday taking his football IQ and being one-on-one -on -one with the guys and doing his thing and coaching them up and putting them in the right positions to do their job well. His first and best decision was a good one with promoting Matt Ryan back at QB1. Because let's just be honest, we saw it. Sam Ellinger is not a starting quarterback in the NFL. He is a good preseason quarterback. I think we could put the period at the end of that sentence. The Colts defense played well. Matt Ryan played well in this game. 21 for 28 were his numbers in this game. Only one sack allowed by this Indianapolis Colts front which was nice to see, and other wide receivers are getting involved. Paris Campbell 
is starting to finally get involved. Seven catches, 76 yards receiving. We never saw that under Frank Reich and Marcus Brady. It was simply a lot of Michael Pittman and a whole lot of nothing offensively this season. Jeff Saturday is already making a big-time impact, not only within the product on the football field, but I personally think within the room. He is just that type of guy, and I think he really has a powerful voice. If you watch him on ESPN, you could just tell all the smarts and his football IQ, and I would not be surprised at all to see Saturday being the full-time head coach, but we'll see how that goes. As the Vegas Raiders are concerned, I mean, we know this team. Their identity is running the football. Derek Carr hasn't been good. The offensive line's been brutal. The lack of productivity with Devontae Adams hasn't been there. We already know that that Josh McDaniels has been an absolute train wreck this year. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that this defense, specifically within that secondary, has just been an absolute train wreck. And we already know that Josh McDaniels has just not put Derek Carr in a position, especially in the second half of football games, to succeed. And you can say whatever the heck you want in terms of Derek Carr and Devontae Adams and that chemistry that they've had in college. But dude, I think what you have here with Josh McDaniels is that he's trying to be the smartest guy in the room and he's trying to take control of what Derek Carr has established within this Vegas Raider organization. I mean, just go let go let him run the show. Go let him do his thing. Sure, you can still call plays, but if he wants to kill, kill, kill at the line of scrimmage, let him do it. I feel like Josh McDaniels is just getting in Derek Carr's ear too much because you're seeing in the second half of these football games that it's just been an absolute meltdown. You saw it in that game against the Jacksonville Jaguars a couple weeks ago. You saw it in this game when it looked like the Vegas Raiders looked like they were on their way into a victory and then the defense choked and then the offense couldn't produce afterwards. So we already know that the Raiders are not going to do anything this year. Um, I'm really interested to see what the future holds with Josh McDaniels and to see if and to see if Derek Carr with his wide receivers can establish any sort of productivity because if they keep going like this and having these second half meltdowns and can't even cross midfield on some games, I think it all comes down to the head coach. And we've said that time and time again, but pay attention to the Raiders during the second half of the season to see if they're still having these type of miscues in what we've seen all along this season. Because if so, I think everybody in that locker room is going to go point their finger straight to Josh McDaniels and Mark Davis, Raiders owner, is going to ultimately have to make a decision in year one as Raiders, as the Raiders head coach to see if he's going to be a part of this team long term. Let's head to Lambeau Field as the Dallas Cowboys took a trip to visit and play the Green Bay Packers, the four and six Green Bay Packers after this victory. Packers win with the final score of 31 to 28. Game went to overtime. And this was a game for Green Bay that was probably their best game that they've played all year. I mean, they got production within their running backs. Aaron Jones, 138 yards. A.J. Dillon, 65 yards on the ground. Christian Watson looked like they finally unlocked. Finally, 10 weeks in, Rodgers' favorite target. Christian Watson absolutely did his thing against the Dallas Cowboys defense. That's been absolutely phenomenal this year. Four catches, 107 yards, and three touchdowns. A lot of those touchdowns came on explosive plays, by the way, which was good to see if you're a Green Bay Packer fan. And this defense 
Despite allowing 28 points, they really shut down the Dallas Cowboys in that second half when it mattered most. I mean, the Cowboys just couldn't move the ball on their final four drives. We're talking about 47 total yards and zero points. What did the Packers do on their final four drives? How about a grand total of 17 points? So that's the game right there. And that's a good that's a good sight to see if you're a Green Bay Packer fan coming in at home in a big game where your season's on the line and taking out a team like the Dallas Cowboys that have had a really good season from a defensive standpoint and is starting to click offensively as well. Now that deck now that Dak Prescott is back and has a few starts under his belt. So a good win for the Green Bay Packers here. The question is, can they string this together over the next couple of weeks and start to turn the corner in terms of potentially going on a run? I don't know. Only time will tell if they do do that. But for the Dallas Cowboys, I personally thought they were going to win this game with all the with all the offensive struggles that Green Bay has had this season. But this was clearly in an emotional game for Dallas Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy. Coming back to his old stomping grounds in Green Bay. First game back at Green Bay since he got fired. And of course, he's tight with Darren Rodgers because he only won a Super Bowl with Mr. Rodgers. So emotions running high for Mike McCarthy. He came onto the field hours before the game. Just wanted to soak the moment all in. And you can tell it was... He just wanted to go for it in overtime. They were in overtime. They wanted to go for the touchdown in overtime. And I don't have a problem with the decision. But it seemed like this it seemed like the lights were just a little too bright for Mike McCarthy in terms of going for it on fourth and four or whatever it was at the Green Bay 40 yard line, too far for field goal. And at the same time, a tough place to a tough position to put your punter in. So I don't hate the decision, but I think he knew on the other side with Aaron Rodgers and the way that offense was rolling that he had to go for it on fourth down and get a touchdown because he knows Aaron Rodgers better than anyone with and the dynamic of that football game that he was going to score a field goal no matter what and put points in overtime no matter what happened. So he just had to roll the dice and go for it. So I don't hate the decision from him like I mentioned. It's just one of those things where if we convert it, great, and we're we're probably going to go score a touchdown. But if we don't, we're going to really have to put our doubt, our defense in a really tough position and go get a stop, even though they haven't done it through that entirety of the fourth quarter. So it's just one of those tough games for the Dallas Cowboys. I do think, however, they are peaking at the right time because you're seeing this offense starting to get a lot more comfortable with Dak Prescott, with Tony Pollard at running back, and C.D. Lamb at wide receiver, and the way that Dallas defense has played this year, obviously their defense is going to lead the charge, but can this team on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, be proficient? Because if they do, then this is going to be a top team in the NFC and a really really tough team to stop come playoff time. Let's proceed to the sewer special of the weekend between the Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams, two teams that have been a massive disappointment this year, and I'm calling it the sewer special of the weekend because both quarterbacks were out for this game. Colt McCoy took the keys as QB1 in this ball game. Actually, a decent backup quarterback to start football games. 
for your team. He has played quite well for the Arizona Cardinals, and he reels the team here 27-17 in a Cardinal victory on the road. Cliff Kingsbury, I think, calls a better game with Colt McCoy at quarterback. I think Kyler Murray is just too much of a wild card. I think he's a bad locker room guy. I think you could tell him and Kingsbury are never on the same page. He's, Murray's always cussing him out on the sidelines in between plays. They don't have a good chemistry or rhythm. At least we haven't seen it this year. Part of that is a lot of the wide receiver injuries and James Conner being out, as well as inconsistency on the offensive line, as well as the defense overall. The Cardinals have just had tons of problems left, right, and center. But Colt McCoy, when he starts games for the Arizona Cardinals, he has done damage, he has played good, and most importantly, he has won for the Cardinals under Kyler Murray's absence. And that's big time if you're the if you're the Cardinals and if you're Colt McCoy because there's not too many backup quarterbacks, as you can see, that could win football games. There's quite a bit of few that could win football games when they're asked to come into the starting role, and it's a tough spot to step in. So I give kudos to Colt McCoy, and he's done a, a really good job doing that under Arizona, and he also did it quite well the past couple seasons for the New York Giants as well. As far as the Los Angeles Rams concerned, your season's over. You know, the defense has been up and down. You got Jalen Ramsey not happy with the team, not happy with the offense in, the, in terms of how it's been rolling. Matthew Stafford has been, he hasn't been 100% all year with his fair share of injuries. He was out this game with the concussion. And let's just be honest, John Wolford is not a starting, a starting quarterback in the NFL. Sure, he's got a good story and all. But if you're going to ask... Hurt in this game late just absolutely diminishes the Rams' chances even more in terms of being a productive offense. So you're literally asking with the lack of playmakers for Tyler Higby, Allen Robinson, and Van Jefferson, along with Ben Skoranek, to get something done with the backup quarterback. I don't care. Tra I don't care about the track record that Sean McVay has against Cliff Kingsbury. That is simply not going to get it done. And I think long term, it's not going to get it done, whether you have Matthew Stafford or not. And you can just see that the Rams haven't been right all year. You know, it's been the Cooper Cup show from start to finish this year. And I think you're starting to see that, yeah, you won the Super Bowl, you went all in, but now you're starting to pay the tax for the Super Bowl. You invested in Odell Beckham Jr., you invested in Von Miller and all those draft picks. You mortgaged your future for all these guys to win and bring a championship to the city of Los Angeles, but now you don't have a first-round draft pick for what, like the next half a decade? That's gonna re that's gonna be a massive problem for this team, and and now you got a lot of bills to pay with Matthew Stafford and Aaron Donald, along with Jalen Ramsey and Cooper Cup as well, for that matter. So this Rams team, you're not gonna win it this year. Obviously, you're not gonna make the playoffs this year. It's it's gonna be tough sledding for the Los Angeles Rams, not only this year but the ongoing future if they want to compete. For another Super Bowl. Let's get into Sunday night football between the Los Angeles Chargers and the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers win this ball game 22 to 16 in front of their home crowd at Levi Stadium. And this was a game coming in where everyone thought that the 49ers were just gonna blow the roof off and beat down the Chargers. And I said, you know, the Chargers flourish in the underdog role in games that they are not favored in. Obviously, they were not favored in this one as they were missing a lot of players defensively as well as their two top receivers in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. So it's the next man up mentality as far as the wide receiver position goes. 
and that is Joshua Palmer and DeAndre Carter, which we've seen the past couple weeks, especially in that Falcons game as the Chargers went on the road against the Atlanta Falcons and beat the Falcons outright, how good their wide receivers three and four can be in Carter and Palmer. And we saw it again here as the Chargers came out and scored an opening drive touchdown and kind of put the Niners in place a little bit, especially in that first half. I mean, the Chargers were throwing the ball effectively, and it took the Niners a little bit of time to settle in as the Niners were settling for field goals and the Chargers were scoring touchdowns, at least as as far as that first half is concerned. As the Chargers led... 16-13 16-13 to 13 at halftime, and you kind of knew this is a game that the 49ers cannot afford to lose, especially coming off of a bye where you had an extra week to prepare for this game. The 49ers had to come up and dial it up, and it sure they sure did. I mean, how about, this, how about this Niners defense starting to get healthier? Bosa's back. The corners are back. The Dre Greenlaw's back. This team is finally starting to get back their health as when they went on that East Coast road trip a couple weeks ago, they were struggling and they got beat down by a bad foul by a on the ground by a mediocre to bad Falcon team, uh, many would say. But we saw in the second half, Niners pitched a shutout defensively. Chargers scored zero points in the second half, and the Niners just started playing their brand of football. I always say every game for the 49ers that they need to have that vintage. Kyle Shanahan type drive where they just go play physical football and run the ball down your nose and throat and just have a touchdown drive that takes off six to seven minutes of the clock. And you notice the 49ers have one of those in their wins at least once a game. And there was a couple of those and we saw a lot of them in the second half where they would just run the ball with McCaffrey and run the ball with Elijah Mitchell and they were getting five yards a carry or more in some instances. But we got to understand, Joey Bosa wasn't playing in this game. Two two backup defensive linemen for the Chargers got hurt in the second half. And, you know, injuries are tough. It's the next man up mentality. But at the same time, you got to take advantage of those injuries as well. And the 49ers did that by just winning the line of scrimmage in the second half and just running the ball down the Chargers' throats. They just had to start loading up the box. And when the Niners run the ball effectively, everything opens up. We talk about this all the time. It happens. That's why it's so important to get the ground game going because if you have skill positions like the 49ers do and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, if they decide to use them in the passing game, the the offense can make so many plays, and we saw that in this game. And Justin Herbert is one of these guys in the NFL where he's not going to give up, even if he's dealing with adversity, whether it's with injuries or lack of playmakers. He's going to make plays no matter who's on the field. He's just that type of guy. He's got the athletic ability. He's got the arm strength, and he's just one gifted talent, and the Chargers should be lucky to have him. Unfortunately, they have not done too much with him in terms of going to the playoffs in his third year as a pro, but we'll save those conversations for another time. But the Niners, we talked about this team last episode that this could be the time when they're peaking at the right time and they start playing their best brand of football. I think coming off a bye and against this Charger team, you just wanted to see them 
get away with the victory and survive in advance, especially the way that first half went. Terrific recovery in the second half on that defense and the offense to finally follow up on their miscue, so kudos to them. But this really is a loaded football team that is going to be scary come playoff time when a real good team has to come play at Levi or even on the road. They could go play in a hostile environment and beat you in a rock fight, low-scoring game. Our last game on the NFL Week 10 board is the Washington Commanders at the Philadelphia Eagles. Commanders pull off the upset and win this game 32-21. And this is a red-hot Commander football team right now. And we talked about this team, how they were going to turn the corner in the last episode as well, and a team to look out for in the NFC. As believe it or not, with the 5-5 five and five record, they are still in last place in this division. That just goes to show how weak the NFC East is and all their schedules, but they're winning football games, all four teams in that, in that division. And you play who's on your schedule, and we'll leave it at that. But this game was a little bit dangerous coming in for Philly. I, I I really thought so. Coming off a bye, you're undefeated, you're feeling good, and you got a Washington Commander team that is just playing. The record might not show it, obviously, but they are really playing their best brand of football. This was a, this was a defense to start the season. The first three weeks, that was absolutely brutal. They couldn't stop the run. They were giving up. They were number one in explosive plays. They were getting beat over the top with their corners. And they've corrected those mistakes. Jack Del Rio's defense, as well as Ron Rivera's defense, has done a terrific job in tightening everything up and stopping the run, missing tackles, not having a bunch of pass interference penalties and getting beat. So this commander's defense has really played better without Chase Young. Chase Young has not played a single game this year. A lot of people suspected he would be back to bolster that defensive line and pass rush. We'll see when he comes back, but this commander offense, their game plan was simple. We're going to try to run the ball effectively, in which they did, and we're going to keep the ball out of Jalen Hurd's hands because the Eagles have been prone, especially in that first matchup in week three. The Eagles absolutely pounded the commanders over the top A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith had themselves one heck of a first half in that ball game at FedEx Field. They did not want that to happen again. And their run game has gotten significantly better with Brian Robinson since he's returned, as well as Antonio Gibson, who's picked up the pieces after his first half debacle of the season. And they're starting to run the football really well up front. And on top of that, the premier matchup of the evening on Monday Night Football was Terry McLaurin versus Darius Slay. All eyes were on McLaurin if he could win this matchup against Darius Slay, who's had a terrific season, by the way. Darius Slay will be a pro bowler because he has shut down a lot of his wide receivers. But this was Darius Slay's worst game of the season. McLaurin had eight catches for 128 yards. The Eagles' defensive front was a weakness coming into this game as they were missing Jordan Davis. And they were missing other guys up front. And the commanders took advantage of that. And it had just seemed that the commanders would just have these extremely long drives. And when you look, they were really efficient on third down, especially in that first half. I mean, you talk about 12 for 21. If, you're having, if you reach third down 21 times in a ball game, that means you're possessing the ball for a long time. The Eagles were 5 for 8. 
you want to crunch down the percentages and break it down. Both teams were pretty good, but as you can see, the Commanders were on third down for a lot, had many more third down opportunities, and they converted on a large percentage of those, obviously. So they were moving the sticks, and they were scoring touchdowns. This was the first time the Eagles did not have a lead going into halftime, and we all know that the Eagles have dominated their opponents in the first half of ball games, and then they've gone on cruise control. They lead the they lead the league in second quarter points. So this was a game. If you didn't really know what was going on and you didn't know what you were getting yourself into, when you saw the Eagles trailing at halftime, you knew it was going to be a ball game. But you can just tell that Taylor Heineke has ice in his veins, and all he does is win football games. And you can just tell the overall dynamic of this football team and the way they're playing and just the locker room as a whole. They're getting up when when Taylor Heineke is starting these games. When Carson Wentz went, was on the field for them, the offense was brutal. The defense was not playing good at all. When Heineke pulled up and started his first game, this has been a significantly different football team. And a large part of that has to do with Taylor Heineke and just his overall swagger and his confidence as as a player and just seems like more of a likable guy and he's he could associate more with the younger players, which is awesome. You want a, a guy like that in your room, especially at the quarterback position because that's what you need as a quarterback, a leader. And you can just tell the way and he speaks in his post-game interviews and at the post-game pressers, he speaks with confidence. He speaks like a leader. You can tell that everybody rallies behind him which I think the commanders have been lacking a person like like that at quarterback for quite some time now, and you're starting to see it. I mean, Ron Rivera came out this week and said that they're going to start Taylor Heineke for the time being, which I think is a tremendously good decision by Coach Rivera. But you can see that this commander defense, obviously, when the Eagles were on the field, really shut them down. We're talking about forcing turnovers like crazy. I mean, the Commanders, the first five games of this season, they only had one takeaway. In the last five games, they've had nine takeaways. I mean, this is a different defense that's on the field. And when you put together a confident offense that's moving the ball with the new quarterback and Heineke and running the ball efficiently, and you got this defense that's taking away the ball from everybody, this is a dangerous football team, like we mentioned. And to go out on the road in a hostile environment with all the drunks at Lincoln Financial Field, this was a statement of a win for the Washington Commanders. And they're still last place in this division, but I'm interested to see what happens with this commander team down the stretch. And it's really going to come down to those division games against the Cowboys and the Giants as they still play those teams a couple more times. So this Commanders team, their record may not seem like it, but wow, were they playing good. And as far as the Philadelphia Eagles are concerned, I mean, this is still a really talented football team. Let's not deny it. They're 8-1. and one. Everybody can shut up about the undefeated talk now, which I think is good for this team now that all that pressure is on them. But this is a team, despite their 8-1 and one record, they got to start, continue to get back on the to get the train rolling again because the way this NFC East division is playing out right now, everybody's winning football games. They're they're despite their record, no lead is safe for this division. And that would be the worst thing in the world. Just ask the Arizona Cardinals to have such a 
strong first half and strong start and to not finish off the regular season strong and not win the division. I think that would be a mental blow for this Philadelphia Eagles team and I think the lack of I think the confidence would significantly decrease heading into the playoffs if they're a wild card team after all the players that Howie Roseman has added and the emergence of Jalen Hurts as a as quarterback and all the weapons that they have at offensive line and wide receiver along with that talented defense as well that is taking away the ball and dominating their opponents this season.